Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This week's episode of Warriors 24 is brought to you by 8sleep.com. Let's talk about sleep. These studies from Harvard and John Hopkins show that chronic sleep deprivation has been shown to lead to depression, diabetes, obesity, and cardiovascular disease. We need eight hours of sleep. I definitely do. If I don't get my eight hours of sleep, I'm cranky. I'm not focused. I am not at my optimal level of performance. And I'm guessing that's how most people are as well. And one of sleep's biggest problems is temperature. It is tough to get a good night's sleep if you are too hot. So that is why I'm here to tell you about the pod by 8 Sleep. The pod by 8 Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. It was designed by leading sleep researchers after tracking 43 million hours of sleep. The pod combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like that bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, you can both have it, your temperature, the one you want at the same time in a crazy comfortable bed. Sleep longer and deeper so you wake up refreshed and ready to take on the world. Try the pod for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, we'll refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They've already sold out of the first two batches, so they are going fast, especially during the holidays. And for a limited time, you get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash pro. That's E-I-G-H-T sleep.com slash pro. Again, 8sleep.com slash pro. This week's episode of the Warriors 24 podcast is also brought to you by my bookie. It's an exciting time for sports right now. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual threat QB. The odds on Jackson to win the MVP race were at 50 to 1 to begin the season and have plummeted since, making my bookie's prop selection more attractive than ever. Then in just a matter of days, we have one of the most stacked UFC cards in a long time. Three championship fights, all highly anticipated, right in the betting capital of the world. That is Las Vegas, Nevada, without a doubt. People are going to be looking to get in on the action, and we have the best place for you to go, my bookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try parlay. Parlay it, baby. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code BLV, short for the Believe Podcast Network, baby, to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet win, get paid. My bookie. And this week's episode of Warriors 24 is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, and it used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. 
ZipRecruiter. In fact, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, and they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you cannot miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, listeners here can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-G-I-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash begin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And one final quick plug, if you want a personal message from NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry, just go to Cameo.com. That is Cameo, C-A-M-E-O.com. Now, here's episode nine of Warriors 24, starring NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry, yours truly, Sarah Sotsas, and our special guest, ESPN reporter Royce Young. Here's San Francisco and the incomparable forward, Rick Barry. From behind the end line, they burn him again, and it's Barry. And now, Rick Barry, the league's leading scorer. What a superb basketball player he is. Hi, everybody. Rick Barry here. I'm Warriors 24 with my sidekick, Cyrus Satchis, the surf man himself. Uh, <laughs> I hope that you have had uh, a good week. It's been about that time since we spoke last. And I'm really excited today to get, to get in to talk about something. Anytime we can talk about free throws, it always draws my attention. Uh, it's near and dear to my heart. The only part of the game of basketball where you can be selfish and still help your team. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it really is the only part of the game where you're not having an opponent try to stop you offensively from doing what you're trying to accomplish to be successful at it. And yet the guys are out there shooting miserable percentage. And the sad thing is, is that the guys that are, are good, our guest that's going to be coming on with us from ESPN, Royce Young, wrote a really terrific article talking about how people try to get into guys' heads and get the good free throw shooters to miss. I guess you might have some success with bad throw sh- free throw shooters, but let's uh, let's get started. Royce, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. So why why did you come up with this this concept? Uh, I mean, to to get you to write this piece with regard to uh, trying to get people psyched out at the free throw line. Yeah, I guess sort of the origin of it was maybe it was a little more than a year ago, maybe, maybe even longer than that. I just started noticing that Russell Westbrook kind of had this weird thing he was doing uh, when he was standing in the free throw line, when an opposing player was shooting free throw, where he would just kind of be you know, hands on his knees, leaned over, and then right as the guy would shoot, he would stand up real straight. And I, was, and I noticed that Westbrook was doing this pretty routinely. And it kind of – clearly dawned on me. I was like, Oh, he's trying to get that guy to miss. Like that's what he's trying to do. And so I asked Russell about it. And uh, in typical Russell Westbrook fashion, he looked me like stone cold in the eyes and act like I didn't exist and just said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I kind of, it's like a bell went off in my mind of thinking like, Oh, this is how you play free throw defense in the NBA. Like it's kind of like a joke to to talk about (laughs) like, um, you know, that you can defend a free throw, but I started sort of paying attention to some of the tactics the players had. And then in last postseason, as I'm sure you guys remember, in the opening round, uh, Clippers-Warriors, Kevin Durant at the free throw line, and Patrick Beverly, who's a known nuisance, does this move where he kind of acts like he's trying not to commit a lane violation. He's like like he's teetering on the edge of a cliff and he's going to fall over. He's flapping his arms around, mm-hmm. and Durant missed the free throw. 
And, you know, Durant kind of looked at the official, like, are you serious? Like, can he, is he allowed to do that? And at that moment I was like, okay, I got to write a story about this for sure. Like, and, and so I just started kind of cataloging a lot of the things that I noticed that players were doing. And, and I came to find out that it extended way back further than I even thought it did. And it's, it's been sort of this game within a game in the NBA for, for quite some time. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, it doesn't go back because I'm, you know, getting to the point of being, you know, a Stone Age kind of guy at my age. But <laughs> I, I, I don't really remember that happening, to be honest with you, back mm-hmm. when I played where guys did anything at all to try to impact the performance of a player at the free throw line. But, hey, if it's not breaking the rule and you can get away with it in sports, right. everybody tries to do that. So I can't say that I blame the guys. Um, I will yeah. have to say, though, in my in defense of that for as as and I'll say it as a great free throw shooter I never really noticed anybody because I was so freaking mm-hmm. focused on what I was doing and I think that probably could have a lot of impact and probably had a lot of success especially against guys who were not very good at the free throw line yeah you know and that's something that I really heard from a lot of players that I talked to for this um you know there was just a handful of them that were kind of quoted in the story but I talked to a lot of players and you know one of the things that they they would routinely say is like if you've got a routine if you're focused on what you're doing this is what steve kurt told me too then then those are the types that's the whole point of having the routine and and focusing at the free throw line is so that those things don't bother you you know fans waving their thunder sticks or yelling at you or showing their bare bellies or whatever they're doing back behind you like that's that, that's just not going to bother a free throw shooter the stats bear it out home home versus road splits free throw shooting in the nba they're virtually the same percentage so like fans really don't have as much of an impact. And that's why I think players have sort of tried to kind of invent these surprise moments. And some players talked about how it was, you know, the mind tricks of trying to get into somebody's mind. You know, Steph Curry called the story of last postseason when his brother Seth reminded him of a long free throw streak that he had. And, and it kind of got in his mind a little bit. You know, he put a little added brotherly pressure on the free throws because he wanted to prove his brother wrong as, as much as he wanted to make a free throw for the Warriors. And um, I can respect that as somebody that has two brothers. You want to prove them wrong all the time. So, um, but, you know, it's it's funny you mentioned that kind of the how far it extends back. And I think you're right. I don't know that there's there's a ton of, um, you know, stories other than maybe just kind of general trash talk. You could probably, you know, speak to how often that happened. But one of the kind of the the anecdotes that was passed on to me is that, one of the rules that exists in the NBA is that you can't put your arms up on the first free throw, like above your head in college. You can do that in high school. You can do that. But in the NBA, they, they made that against the rules. And the way it was told to me is that Mark Eaton, who was like, you know, seven foot three, seven foot four would routinely put his arms above his head. And it was very distracting for free throw shooters. (laughs) And so they basically kind of made a rule to say like NBA players can't do that on the first, first free throw. Yeah, that's that's interesting that they put that rule in. It's amazing sometimes how they do that. But again, it's like the NBA puts rules in to try to protect the guys that are lousy at what they do. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, the same way with the, you know with the no fouling in the last two minutes. I mean, come on. Let's face it, Royce. I mean, you've been around. You've followed sports forever. What is the primary goal and objective of a team? Isn't it to exploit the weakness of your opponent? Yeah, it's like I, I wish somebody would invent this rule for me on the golf course because, like, I'm terrible at putting. Like, it's kind of like the same thing. It's, like, all about focus and concentration in terms of putting. I need, I need golf to invent a rule to handicap my putting ability. Like, because that's kind of essentially what they do in basketball. Yeah, well, um, golf has some of, of the stupidest – Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I didn't yeah. to cut you off. No, you're, you were about to talk about golf rules and you're absolutely well, right about that. But, um, but yeah, that's, you know, Steph Curry talked, kind of made that comparison about, 
because uh, he's a golfer about, you know, it's, it's very similar to, you know, standing over a putt is that you got to focus, you got to concentrate, block everything out, go through your routine. And, you know, and, and but again, most of the players I talked to for this story were, were are great free throw shooters, Kyle Korver, JJ Redick, uh, Steph Curry. They're, they're all great free throw shooters. You know, one of the players that I thought was kind of unique in this was Deandre Jordan, who is known to be a miserable free throw shooter, but, kind of had a renaissance last year and a lot of it was based in he found a routine that worked and it was this quirky routine where he he would say a line to a teammate uh, that's standing next to him it was basically like who's who, what man you got and then he would touch the ball he would need to touch the ball first of all say the line to a teammate and then it would kind of kick off this routine and it was a way to help him focus and opposing players caught on to this and they were like playing keep away from him they didn't want to let him touch the ball because they wanted to disrupt the routine so like you know, that's, that's so much of it is just kind of your comfort zone at the free throw line. Yeah. And, and well, that, that's, that was a cute story. I enjoyed that one, but I also know a lot more about the thing about DeAndre because my son Scooter has something that's like the most sophisticated thing I've ever seen in my life to help teach shooting. He actually, and I have video of it that he has video of it to show. He totally completely changed the shooting technique with this shooting sleeve that unfortunately has not really caught on and coaches are afraid to do anything and tell guys they mm. have to do something. And he changed his whole routine. He actually hadn't made 75% of his free throws in short, a few short sessions. DeAndre lost the sleeve, didn't continue with it. The Clippers didn't want to bring him on board to do it. He did the same thing with some other of the notorious horrible free throw shooters. And they just didn't want to do something. It's beyond my comprehension sometimes how coaches or teams are afraid, I mean, because these players make so much money, to say, wait a second, I'm paying you. You need to do this. This is part of your job. You're required to do this, and you're required to practice. It's just like Don Nelson one time had said something to you know, Andres Bedrins, who had like the most miserable free throw percentage, I think, of mm -hmm. anybody in the history of the game for one season. 20 like percent or 19 percent. <laughs> yeah, it was less than yeah. 20, I think. And told him that he's going to have to do it. But, you know, then Nelly wound up leaving, and he didn't want to do it. And he said, you're going to have to go ahead and, and work with Rick Barry it's, and, and saying, well, I'm not going to do that. Well, how the heck is a player who's making millions of dollars tell his boss that he's not going to do something a boss wants him to do? It's amazing to me. Yeah. And I just have to get back to the golf thing that you said, because golf has some of the stupidest rules ever. But there's a big <laughs> difference between golf and, and, and basketball. When you're doing the putt and you tell, you're focused everything else, you have to read the break in the green. You don't have to do that at the free throw line. <laughs> you know, there's no worry Fair about point. the wind. Fair there's point. no worry about the way the grass, you know, where's the sun setting, all of the other stupid things that they have. That's the next step of free throw defense, Rick. You got to, yeah, arenas are going to. Well, that's why, yeah, like the Astrodome, I remember when they played in the thing and they played that UCLA game and stuff, there was like a two and a half to three mile win inside the, the arena, people were telling me. So you had to breeze that you had to contend with when you were playing in those uh, self-enclosed buildings. Yeah. But no, I, I, I can understand this, but I really do think that that was, it was a very clever idea that you came up with. Any, anything else that you thought was really interesting that people were doing in an effort to try to get guys to get distracted at the free throw line? Yeah, well, I mean, like, Rajon Rondo is kind of the master, right? Like, and, and and he was great for the story. And and one of the things that I kind of found out, Rick, is that, you know, some of the pests didn't really want to own up to it very much. You know, like, it was <laughs> – but but Rondo is unique in a lot of different ways. And he was more than willing to be like, yeah, I do it. And I do whatever it takes. And I do it again. And whatever I think might work, I'm going to do it. And, and I'm not going to apologize for it. And, you know, he had a num he's had a number of 
of kind of moves that he's pulled and you know he'll do simple little things like jump in there you know players have the routine if they take the first free throw then they want to step in and high five their teammates and step back rondo will try to interrupt that you know he'll try to interrupt the high five and it, and it looks silly and i think a lot of people think it's kind of a joke and i'm sure that there's a percentage of it that's a joke but rondo's also playing the game within the game he's trying to get in your head he's trying to bother you he's trying to disrupt your routine but you know he had the one with draymond green where he rubbed his sweaty face on the ball yes. in between free throws didn't get caught for doing that. Um, he had the one – he did get caught for throwing the towel last year. Yeah. I think Taj Gibson was at the free throw line, if I remember right, and he threw the towel, which, uh, you know, the, the officials just gave him a technical foul. Technically, that wasn't the rule that's in place. The rule is disconcertion is what they call it, and and you're just supposed to be awarded another free throw if you miss. It's like a lane violation. But, um, yeah, Rondo, Rondo was fantastic for it just for the fact that he was like, yeah, I do it, and I got no problem, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Yeah, so statistically, statistically, if you miss the free throw and disconcertion comes into play, does that free throw you miss not count in your attempts for your percentage? I believe that's correct. I think it's just like they treat it just like a lane violation. Like it just did, never happened, you know. And, right. and, and there was a one video, you know, at the NBA.com, you know, if you go to their video rule book, they actually have like a video example of it. And Jordan Farmar is the free throw shooter. And Ryan Hollins gets called for it. And he, and he kind of pulled a move of like, stepping into the lane a little bit too quickly. And, you know, that's, that's the move that they got him on. Um, but it's, it, I mean, it is rarely, rarely called. And that's something, you know, I talked to Monty McCutcheon, longtime NBA official, and now he's kind of the director of officiating for the league. And, you know, he said, you know, for an official, it's just about using your common sense. And there, there's little moves that players do, like an assistant coach will yell out to them and they'll turn around over their shoulder real quick as the guy is shooting. Well, it's like, you can't prove it. It's like, you know, uh, innocent until proven guilty. There's no evidence there to say that that was intentional or yelling box out or, you know, who, what man you got, like right as a guy is shooting and official McCutcheon said a good official will kind of go over if he's noticing it, that is crossing line and say like, all right, come on, let's, let's cut that out. I see what you're up to. And they're going to do what they can do to try to not call it. They don't want to call it, but if it crosses a certain line, they will. You know, you just said something because we have a section on the show. In fact, uh, Cyrus and I were just talking about it before we came on the air with you. That's called drive. It drives me crazy. And so you, you just brought up something that I'm going to actually use for it drives me crazy thing. So if you don't mind, I'm going to do it real quickly right now because it fits in beauty. So here's the thing. There's a lot of things I'm sure that drive everybody crazy in life In basketball. You brought up one that really does truly get to me. And that is who in the hell is the person (laughs) that started this BS of going in and slapping a guy's hand and doing something after free throws, especially when he misses. If the guy misses the free throw, if you're going to go in, smack him in the freaking head, not in the hand. He just missed the <laughs> damn free throw and cost you a point. That's the most <laughs> ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know where it started. If you have an idea of where it started, Royce, please clue me in, because whoever that person is, they should, they should be punished. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Seriously. I mean, what the hell are we doing here? The whole thing we just talked about here is what? Get focused in. Get to what you're doing. Why do you want to bother a guy who should be getting focused in at the line, especially if he made the first one, to have to worry about slapping the hands of his freaking teammates? Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because a guy that I spent a lot lot of time around is Russell Westbrook. And, you know, he's he's like a career 82, 83% free throw shooter. Never been a problem for him. Always been good. And the last couple of years, he has been 
low 70s. I think he was in the 60s. At one point, midway through the year last year, he was in the high 50s. It was, it was becoming a real problem for him. And I talked to Russell about it. And, and the thing that he basically chalked it up to is that he had had a routine since he was a little kid that he would take his first free throw and then he would walk basically all the way back to midcourt, kind of cross his legs and then walk back to the free throw line. And then the NBA put in some delay a game, like speed of play rules a couple of years ago that said, you can't cross the three point line. You can't leave the free throw line and go that far back. And it messed Russell up. That's what he, that's what he blames on. He says like, I, I've tried to kind of rediscover a free throw routine. I've been doing it since I was seven years old and I, and it makes, and it's gotten in my head and I'm thinking about it all the time and it just messed me up. And and it's wow. one of those things of like how how quirky players can be with this stuff, and you know Russell Westbrook's one of the most mentally strong players I've ever been around. I mean, we all can see how he is. He's you know there, he has kind of a unique stubbornness to the way he plays, but just those simple little things. And so like the little hand slaps in between free throws, like you said, I don't know who made that up. Players <laughs> have got it in their heads that they got to do it for some reason. I don't know why. It's like a you know it's like a batter in the batting bo- uh, batter's box you know, un, un, uh, un velcroing his batting gloves and velcro, velcroing him again. Why does he do that? There's no reason to do that, but they've got it in their heads that they have to. Yeah, it really is amazing how, you know, the psyche of players and how they could do that. I could assure you that if anybody after, if I was at the free throw line, even got anywhere near me to do this, I said, well, I'd be, what the hell are you doing? Get out of here. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> you don't bother me. Yeah. I mean, I'm here. I'm focused in doing it. That's the beauty of this. It's something you can be totally, completely focused in on. But I do recommend, I remember years ago, Rick Majerus, who, who uh, you know, one of the college, good, outstanding college coaches, asked mm-hmm. me about the free throw things. I said, well, the first thing I could do other than seeing a guy and looking at his form to try to correct a flaw that he may have in technique, I said, do your players have a routine before they shoot? I said, it's really important. Because a routine is good because, and it's not for psychological reasons. It's for the fact that if you got to the free throw line after the game was over and the buzzer went off and you're at the line, there's no time or what have you, you have to shoot. And it's an important free throw. You're down one or you're tied and you have a chance to win the game or tie the game and win the game. What happens is, is that you don't want to think about that situation because that's a very critical situation. It could put more onus on what you have to accomplished by making your free throw and shooting it. But what happens is if you have a routine, the moment the official hands you the ball, you go into what? Routine mode. The things you've done thousands and thousands and thousands of time, right? You're going to get it. In my case, bounce it three, bend over, bounce it three times, put my hand on the same spot of the ball, a little deep breath, take a little cock of the wrist and ready to go. And then boom, you do it. And so your whole mental attitude is where you're focused on your routine. So that's the thing. That's what the routine is supposed to be for in order to help you to eliminate those types of situations. But obviously, some guys, it has more of an impact on it because I had never heard that story about Russell Westbrook. And that's, that's interesting that it would have that kind of an impact on him. And I guess only we need to get a psychologist on the line of, on the show sometime to talk about <laughs> why in the world it would have that type of an impact on someone. I, I can't kind of relate to that, to be honest with you. But, yeah, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, I think there was kind of an element of a snowball effect with him. It's like it, it, they changed the rule. He, he got up to a slow start, and then it just like you know it got in his head. But that, again, that's why I think Steph Curry's anecdote about his brother messing him up. You know, he he's a quick routine guy. He's one of the best free throw shooters of all time. And you know that you can't disrupt his routine, but what you can do is make him think about it. And that's mm-hmm. what Seth did by mentioning the streak, and and that's why Steph said it messed him up. Yeah, well, he got it. He definitely he got into his head. And he got him with that was in his head, which had an impact on probably his routine. And so he wasn't as mm-hmm. totally focused 
as he normally would have been. So I can see where that, that can work sometimes. And I, I've seen guys sometimes going up to people and saying something before they go to shoot it, but that's all kind of started, you know, in, in the last you know, few decades and everything. It wasn't anything yeah. that I'd ever seen uh, early on in my career that somebody would try to do that and try to impact the guy's <laughs> uh, attempt at the free throw line, but it's gamesmanship. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, guys do it in football yep. all the time. You know, I mean, you hear about some of the stories about linemen and the stuff that goes on when those guys are there getting oh, ready yeah. to have a snap. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. The psyche of athletes, but it Hey, is. listen, I really, Cyrus, you have anything you want to ask? Roy? Yeah. You know, we, we have Royce Young joining us here from ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter at Royce Young. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little fascinated with your background. I believe you went to the university of Oklahoma. I don't know if you are an mm-hmm. Oklahoma native. Um, I personally love Norman, Oklahoma. I went there years ago with my old friend, Chris Townsend, a sports media professional. We had the time of our lives, great college town. But uh, how did you go from being, I believe, just a blogger coming out of college to being hired by the most prestigious sports media organization on the planet, ESPN? How did that ascension rise, and how did you become a writer for them? Well, uh, super good luck. <laughs> I mean, that's, 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 the, that's the crux of the story, honestly. Um, but yeah, I, uh, when the team relocated from Seattle, Oklahoma City, I was just graduating from the University of Oklahoma and with a journalism degree, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I wanted to be a sports writer, but it was, it's a tough industry to kind of crack into. And so, you know, I just kind of thought, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do going forward. There's this team moving here. I'm going to start a blog and just, I didn't, honestly, I really didn't follow the NBA all that closely when the, when the Sonics relocated to Oklahoma city. And so I was kind of learning as I went and just through a kind of a series of good, good breaks, uh, got a, made some connections at ESPN and so long story short, the Thunder got super relevant, like with Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, this young group of players became, uh, you know, national stars. They go to the NBA finals and um, ESPN kind of made a decision of like, you know, we need to have somebody there covering that team. And yeah. uh, I, I was there and I had some connections and it was, and it worked out uh, well for me. And um, so, it, I mean, that's, that's essentially how it went. And uh, that's why I've always said that, uh, you know, I, is uh you know a lot of people in oklahoma were pretty bitter about kevin durant leaving but i was uh-huh. always like extremely thankful for having him because <laughs> I, I have the i have the career that i have in, in large part because of him that is true i mean it, it is ran- i guess from my perspective it is random that someone from oklahoma has become one of the most prominent nba writers for espn but at the same time you're right i mean you had three of the biggest stars on the planet in that small city, relatively small. Um, but, and that, that leads me to the other question I wanted to ask you, you know, the Warriors fan base and the Thunder fan base have something very similar in common, that one mm-hmm. variable, and that is Kevin Durant deciding to bail on both those franchises. <clears throat> Excuse me. My question to you is, in your opinion, because Rick and I have talked about this extensively, and we, we haven't really heard a clear-cut answer, you've interviewed Durant a lot. You've been around the Thunder when he was there. I'm sure you've covered the Warriors during that incredible dynasty. Why do you think Kevin Durant does not did not want to stay with either team? What is going through his head to make him to lead him to what is now his current team, the Brooklyn Nets? You know, and just and having known Kevin for for an extended period of time, I mean, this is largely me just kind of speculating based on on knowing him. But my opinion would be is that he's just trying to find something that he that is, I think, kind of unfindable in a lot of ways. Um, you know, when he was in Oklahoma City, I think that he felt the draw there was a lot of different variables that were at play with him making that decision to leave the thunder to go to the warriors but i think at at the core of it he was uh fearful of being a guy that was going to go down as one of the great players to never win a title and i think that 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 frustrated him and that worried him 
And, you know, he came so close uh, a number of different times. And I think it was really eye-opening to him to go through the injury that he did in 2015 where he had the Jones fracture in his mm-hmm. foot. And he kind of felt his career was threatened at that point. And, and he thought, you know what, like I've got an opportunity here to go, to go you know, build uh, one of the great teams of all time. And I want to take advantage of that along with some other there were some other elements I'm sure at play there and style of play wanting, wanting different things. But, you know, those things changed again for the decision that he made to leave the Warriors and then go to the Nets because, uh, you know, I I think that he, he would tell you that the title wasn't as validating as he thought it might've been. And, you know, he's just continued continuing to kind of try to find something that he can't really, you know, he's trying to scratch an itch that he just can't scratch. And, and I don't know when, where he's going to find that at. And maybe it'll be in Brooklyn. Maybe, maybe there's something there for him. But, um, you know, I think for him it was – there was just uh, – you know, you can't really put your finger on one specific thing. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know that the day the – day, I think it was the day after he decided to leave the Thunder and go to the Warriors, somebody that was really close with him uh, within the Thunder organization um, – basically said like that won't be the last team he plays for oh. you know, like he, he he's going somewhere else that's just kind of his nature and you know if you look at his high school career he went to three different high schools he's changed huh. agents a number of times he's just sort of a guy that kind of wanders and um you know i think that that's just kind of his personality is he's kind of a lifelong searcher yeah. wander lust yeah the, no, just, the nomad yeah. sense yeah i mean, I, I mean yeah. it, to me i'd give up part of my salary to be able to play on that warriors team yep i mean seriously I mean, yeah. What more could you possibly have asked? Could you ask for or want in a career to know that you went to a place where the MVP, two-time MVP, was willing to take a back seat, give you a chance to be a, the superstar of that team, which Steph was willing to do, and it happened. He got you know two-time MVP. I mean, he would have been MVP again the last year if he didn't get hurt. He was playing at such a high level. Then to move into a new arena, have the incredible fans that you have and have a chance to be a part of perhaps if they had stay all stayed together, maybe you know, even to match the great Celtics of their dynasty, it would have been unbelievable to be a part of something like yeah. that. So what it is, that's why I'm saying he never gave the answer, Royce, to me, why he left. I heard something that the Draymond situation had something to do with it, but there wasn't a definitive answer is this is why I left. I, I, I just don't understand why he would do it. I just like to hear the answer. I said, hey, God bless him. You know, I'm going to root for him. I, I think he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen. It's an anomaly. I show picture, a picture all the time of people after one of the parades. I was with him and uh, standing with him. Maybe we have the, the, his MVP trophy. And he dwarfs me. I mean, he makes me look small. I mean, <laughs> this, this guy is like he's a seven-footer, plays like a guard, and he's just an incredible player. And I wish him well, but I just would like to know the answer as to why. I just can't figure it out. So, anyway, I guess well, I I'll, think I- I think the reality is, is you may not ever get that answer because I don't know that he has that answer. <laughs> you know, I don't know that I don't know that he could give it to you because he himself may not even know it. And um, you know, again, there's there's in some ways his decision to leave the Warriors is kind of a rejection of the decision he made in 2016 because yeah. you know for all the all the reasons that he gave for why he left the Thunder to join the Warriors are the same are like the opposite reasons that he left the Warriors to go to the Nets, right? I mean, like get away from Russell Westbrook, get away from ISO ball, go play with it. Like he leaves there to go play with Kyrie Irving. And I, I mean, so like it's, yeah. it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around it. But again, I don't know that I, I think from knowing Kevin for as long as I have, he kind of just, you know, and, and I don't mean this to sound like a, a slide on him, but he makes decisions in the moment. He lives very moment to moment. Um, he's uh, somewhat impulsive and, 
And that's just kind of his personality. And I don't think that he really kind of like looks back as much as he just thinks about what the next thing is. I don't think he looks at the past and says, well, that's what I said in the past, or that's what I did. And I got to hold myself accountable to that. I think he just makes the next decision and moves on with his life. Listen, for nothing else, you know, having you on the show and explaining it how you know him, I mean, it's helped me a little bit to understand him more as a person because I don't really obviously know him that well. I've met him a number of occasions, seemed like a really nice young man. Uh, and, and this kind of gives me a little bit more perspective about him. So I appreciate that input. But here's the other thing about it that you're talking about, you know how much he dislikes the media asking questions about things. Very, very quiet, you know, introspective type of guy that's to keep to himself. And he doesn't like the fact that they keep answering me. Hey, keep asking. Why do you keep asking this question? That question? What does he think it's going to be like when he starts to play back in with the New York media? <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah I, that's mean, a, I mean, that, that, that is something that, uh, you know, the, it's, it's not going to get any easier. You know, he went from Oklahoma city. Yeah. Know, to the oh, Bay area, which is basically a little, well, it's different in the Bay area, but not that much different. Because it's not anything like a normal big city is right. like New York and Chicago and LA. And now he's going to New York, which may be the worst of them all. I mean, boy, is he going to be <laughs> for a reawakening. Yeah, anyway, hey, listen, thanks so much for your time, Cyrus. Unless you have something else to ask, Royce? No, I just, I just want to say, Royce, I mean, the, the one thing you, you added, which I never knew until just now, was the fact that Kevin Durant went to three different high schools. I, you know, I, I never went to a school throughout my entire childhood or college for more than two years. My dad just kept moving. I don't know why he did that. Yeah. But psychologically, it impacted me, and, and it impacted me in the sense that I've never really been stable nearly as much as someone who's been grounded in their childhood I've moved a lot, and I think subconsciously that does play a part in it in my nomadic upbringing. And I never really knew that until now that Durant went through something similar. That could have something to do with it. You know, that restlessness could come from that upbringing of not being in a stable location year after year. Um, that, that's all I wanted to add. Yeah, but and he, Royce, you know, he went you. to the university. He went to the University of Texas. You know, he didn't. He didn't stay home. He went across the country. I mean, there's there's a lot of elements at play that. Yeah, he's. He's just not somebody that likes to stay put. I think that that's just yeah. kind of his, his nature. And, and in some ways, the Thunder look back on it, and they're thankful that they had him for as long as they did. Hmm. Yeah. Do the well, fans feel that way? Do the fans feel that way still? <laughs> Similar to the organization? I think that they're – you know, if, if Durant himself would, would kind of, you know, quit taking little pot shots every yeah. now and then, he kind of yeah. help himself. Because, you know, I think he's trying to kind of rationalize and justify, and he wants, he wants people to see his side of the story. Um, and, you know, fans take that sort of stuff personally. Um, but I do think that there is an element of kind of forgiveness that, that people are getting there to kind of recognize and understand that, you know, he is, he is the founding father of Thunder basketball in a lot yeah. of ways and, you know, put the, put the franchise on the map globally. And I think there is more of a growing appreciation for him. Um, and, you know, at some point down the line, you know, I do think that they will come to the conclusion to retire his jersey. But uh, there are still some wounds there that, that are, are, are tough to heal. And, and, but I do think people are progressing that way. Well, hopefully they will. I mean, certainly in life in general, if people try to put themselves in his position, I mean, who in life, when they're offered an opportunity to better themselves in what their profession is, turns that down? Very, very few mm -hmm. times does that ever really happen. And so you can do it in real life, but it's like in sports, you're not supposed to do it. Look, and I'm speaking from firsthand, you know, telling people about it because I was like the first guy to actually leave and go someplace else. And it was had nothing to do with I love the fans. I love, you know, the situation. But the thing is, I didn't have a good time in that season. You know, MVP of the All-Star game, came within two plays of winning the World Championship, led the league in scoring, all the wonderful things like that. But I didn't have fun playing because, unfortunately, I had a coach. And he was a great person. I love Bill Sharman as a person. 
But as a coach, he was not fun to play for, no days off. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. It, it sounds crazy to say it, but he made it feel like it was a job. Basketball had never been a job for me. <laughs> yeah. It always been fun. I mean, I love basketball. I couldn't wait to get out in the court. I hated it when I didn't play. At least they, you know, I, I wanted to play every minute of every game. But the coach made it like it was a, a, a job, an ordeal. It just made it very difficult. And so I had a chance to go and play for my college coach, who was at the time my father-in-law, and who was the guy that taught me so much and got me so prepared for the game because I was able to come in as a, as a rookie and make the all-pro team. That doesn't happen very often. You know, a 21-year-old comes into the league and makes first-team All-Pro. But the reason is I spent four years at college playing NBA-style basketball, getting ready. And so I can, I can relate to what, you know, what, you know how, how Kevin feels about things. But you, you did put some perspective on it for me. So I appreciate you for that. I hope you have a oh, wonderful holiday coming up. Uh, good luck to you with, uh, with your career. I hope you continue to have great success and look forward to meeting you in person one day. Royce yeah, Jones, absolutely. Folks. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Royce. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and it's a great story if you haven't read it yet, so go check it out. Uh, did a terrific job. That's why we were very happy to have him come and join us here on the show to, to talk about a very unique subject that I had never really heard much about. So I, I'd love to see somebody comes up with innovative ideas and, and writes a good story, and that's exactly what Royce Young did. He did, and, okay. he, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Royce Young, and he really was great. And, and thanks again to Royce for coming on. Yeah. Much appreciated, uh, much appreciated. So yeah, so it's interesting. I was thinking about what was going to have me on the drive me crazy, but he, he, he little, <laughs> yeah, no, he, he got me a little bit there with the thing with oh, slapping the hands. Oh yeah, well that drives me crazy. <laughs> How about a truth bomb? You want to drop some truth on us, or are we good? For this uh, yeah, sure. I mean, you want to do that? Let's do a little Let's something else. We already got that one. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Yeah, right, Jack. You you tell him, baby. You tell him. Should we tell him that the truth is that the Lakers actually are a good team again? So that's, <laughs> but people are liking and handling that. But as far as nothing but the truth goes, so here's the thing that I have a problem with NBA. Let's get with it here, okay? I was just with Ronnie Nunn, who we're going to have on the show sometime, who was the former NBA official for 19 years and was the supervisor officials for a number for five years. Okay. And we'll have a great show when we bring him on. But I was talking with him today at the event that I was at down here in Boca Raton. They, for 40, over 40 years, they've had this big luncheon where they honor you know, basketball people. It was for Calvin Murphy, Spencer Haywood, and, uh, and the great Bernard King uh this yes. afternoon where i was uh, so that was really kind of cool and to see otis birdsong and a bunch of other players who uh, attended the uh, the function and and talking to ron the other day at lunch with him yesterday um uh, here's the thing the nba they have to call the game according to the rules and one of the things that i can't stand and, and even Ronnie said, he said, Rick, he says, if you were allowed to do what they're doing now with carrying the ball, he said, you might have scored 45 or 50 points a game. I said, well, no, that would, <laughs> that would never have happened because only Wilt's the guy that could do that in the NBA. But he even admitted to the fact that some of the carrying that goes on, in fact, my wife and I were just watching something the other day, having to turn on one of the games and was looking at it. The player right in front of the officials just kind of dribbling the ball. He was carrying the ball almost on every single dribble. It was, <laughs> it was pathetic absolutely pathetic and i don't know if people if you understand the game of basketball if you are allowed to carry the ball like they allow some of these players to do it you have such an advantage of being able to do things and change direction and create a problem for the, the defense and it's just a rule that needs to be it needs to be called they're they're breaking the rule with what they're doing so nba okay the truth of the matter is your officials are screwing up right now with that and also the traveling call 
and especially the carrying. I mean, the carrying is almost to the point of being obscene at times. So that that's mine for the day. I'm with you. I, I think the traveling is is much more egregious to me. They, it is we, the carrying thing is weird. They do they randomly call it. I don't know if you remember. I think it was the the playoffs last year. They called it on Steph Curry just out of the blue when it happens pretty much every play. Right. Um, it, 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 that was very bizarre to me, but, uh, yeah, the traveling to me is the most egregious and, and caring. You're right. They, for some reason, they just, I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> well, there's the third, the third one. If we have the triumvirate, okay. Moving screens. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happens. Those three, those three things in basketball are, are, are so, uh, they're abused by the players and the, it's the officials fault because I could tell you as a player, you will adapt. You will adopt, adapt, adapt yourself to whatever is happening. If they're calling something, you're going to avoid doing it. But if, they, if you can get away with it, why would you change it? So if you keep making the call, you will force the players to do the trap, to stop the traveling, to dribble the proper way, because you're going to continually get violations against you. If nothing else, the coach will put you on the bench. But you're <laughs> going to stop it. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's just one of those things that players will make the adjustment if they're forced to make the adjustment. So it's up to the officials to do that. And it's up to the league to force the officials to enforce the rules. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. You're very, very welcome. Are you ready for a 24 second shot clock? Uh, I'm always ready for a 24 second shot clock. In fact, right. well, I have a joke. Well, no, I'm not going to bring that one up. No jokes today. Well, I say that to my wife a lot of times, you know, come on. I played most of my life, you know, 24 seconds, you know, I mean, so anyway, uh, <laughs> I got to get a there. rim shot. I got to get a rim shot for you. It's, it's a travesty. <laughs> I haven't done that yet. Uh, so here, here's my question to you. And you have 24 seconds to answer this uh, mixtape show. That's the name of the Twitter account. I believe it's a individual as part of barstool sports. They talk about the NBA uh, posed a very fascinating question on Twitter. It's the first time I've seen a trade proposal that, in my opinion, makes sense. Um, and I'm curious to know if you would agree with this and why. So the, here's a question for you. Your question is, should the Warriors pull a trade of D'Angelo Russell and that coveted lottery pick they're going to get for Ben Simmons? Ooh, very interesting one indeed. Here's my thought. If you could get Ben Simmons... I say yes, do it, because Ben Simmons is a unique player, and you could have Ben Simmons actually run the point, be running Steph off the screens and just get him to shoot so he doesn't have to kill himself doing as much as he does, and then what he could do afterwards? Yes, I would do it. I would too. I think that's an easy answer. There's a surprise number. Of, there's a surprise debate about it simply because Ben Simmons uh, is not a great shooter. At least he's not at this stage of his career, but for his size – for the rebounding he provides, he's actually a solid defender. His ball handling, I think he would be perfect. Well, just think about system. it. If he's playing point, you know, I mean, who's going to guard him, right? If you put a point guard yeah. on him, what you do is you have something, you put him right down, and he goes to work, and you, t you make sure he has just an awesome post game, and you go post the other guy up if he's a little guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, but Absolutely. he can handle the ball. He can bring it up the floor. He can see over people. But just think if you have Steph – running off of screens and clay running off of screens and then what he what steph could do with the ball if he's not open coming off the screen he can still do his creativity but now he doesn't have to go up against a super tough defender there's not going to be a big guy that's going to put as much pressure on ben simmons as a little guy can on steph curry right <laughs> no so here's my question to you if you're philadelphia do you make that trade because they, they're they're hurting for shooting uh i mean ben simmons is obviously solid but they don't have offense at least in the perimeter 
he could and, help that he could help that team doing yeah. it. They'd be giving up a really outstanding. But the thing is, is Ben Simmons is not the kind of guy that's going to carry your team to get you 30 or 40 a night. That's not the kind of player who he is. But right. he's a perfect player for the Warriors to be playing with those guys. I think. I would love I, to see it. As a Warriors fan, I would love that. I would love to see that. I, I, I was so it. impressed when I saw him. I saw him when he was in college and, and he played against him when my son was playing, a Canyon was playing at the College of Charleston. Uh, they had a game there at Charleston and, and Simmons came in to play and got a chance to see him and said, wow, man, if this guy ever develops an outside shot, he's going to be oh. something special. I mean, seriously. I mean, he's, you know, a Magic Johnson type of guy, but I don't think they'll give him up because of that, because they're, they're going to work on it. And I'm assuming that he could get to be a shooter where he could go out and get you 25, 30 on a regular basis to become a better shooter. So to, to give up such a unique talent, yeah. To get someone who's not super unique, who's just a nice player who can score and do things. And a first round pick. And a yeah, possible number one pick, though. And that yeah, lottery. Yeah, but that's pick. the thing. That, that's the thing. Yeah. If you get a thing in the lottery and doing stuff, that it, it's that that may be enough to both go ahead and go ahead and say, hey, yeah, you know what? We can do that because we overall, if we make the right choice with the number one pick and this kid here, we could have a team that would be better than we would be with just Ben Simmons. Beautiful. Rick, another great show. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, folks. Uh, just, you know, well, we'll look forward to talking to you before the holidays. So, uh, so God bless yeah. you and your families. Uh, we love the game of basketball. Oh, I have to bring up one more thing before Please we leave. Please do. Do well, it. You, you know what I'm saying? And I'm trying, trying to be hard. I'm just being, again, I'm being truthful. My normal truthful self gets me in trouble all the time. And oh, give me this one here. Go ahead. Oh, oh you want another truth? Jack, I want another Jack. All right. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Okay. Now, this young man is probably not going to like me if he hears about this and everything, <laughs> but I think what happened, we saw that the Warriors have sent Poole, their number one draft pick, down to the G League. Yes. To what they say, gain more confidence. Well, if you pick a number one pick and you're giving him 25 to 30 minutes a game, and he's putting up the numbers that he's putting up, maybe, just maybe, you made a mistake. <laughs> do, do you think there's any hope? I, I've, been, I've heard the name Chris Middleton mentioned because apparently Middleton had similar issues early in his career with shooting. Uh, went to the G League, corrected his whatever flaws he had, and now he's an all-star. Is there hope for Jordan Poole? Or, well, yeah, there's if, always hope, and I hope for his sake that's the case. I mean, I'm not yeah. wishing him any bad luck. I mean, I want the Warriors to be a really good basketball team. There's no doubt about that. And whether he can or not, I don't know. Do they have the right people down there to fix his problems? Do they really know what his problem is? I mean, I haven't really gone out and analyzed and looked at his form to see if there is a major flaw in his shot. I could tell you one thing. He needs to work on his shot selection. Mm -hmm. I mean, he takes some of the worst shots from the worst places. I mean, he's not Steph Curry, and many times he's pulling up and he was shooting three-point shots from six, eight feet behind the three-point line. I'm sorry. You know, that doesn't make it. When you're shooting that badly, you have no business even shooting a three-point shot when you're a point-something percent <laughs> shooter. I'm surprised that, that Steve allowed him to do it for as long as he had. Yeah. And they finally have gotten to the point now. They said, well, hey, this is crazy. <laughs> took him a long – took him took a, took him a while to something games. I no, twenty five percent shooting. That's garbage. Well, I from both that. the th that's from both twos and threes. Yeah. twenty something percent. That's awful. And Jacob Evans needs to turn it around too. I, I don't well, think he's getting enough scrutiny here. He, I mean, this is another first round pick. This is his third year. I'm I'm expecting more at this point from him. You know. Yeah, well, well, how about? But the thing is, they had a little article in the in the uh, that they wrote about the Warriors, and they gave him some questions, and they they asked him about this, that, and the other thing. And and, and the, <laughs> what's the best advice you ever gotten? 
and and Poole's answer was that you you you'll oh you'll miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Well, first of all, wait a second. You can't you, if you don't take a shot, right? You can't miss it, right? Right, right. Okay. I don't. What what is that that went into his head? Obviously, that's had an impact on what's happening to him right now. You got to get rid of that advice, Mr. Poole. You know, young Mr. Poole. I mean, that is the worst advice ever. It's like, take good shots, okay? That's overconfidence there. Good that shots. Is, that's overconfidence. I mean, I, I mean who came insane. up with that one? I mean, you know, you, you, you're always you going to miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Oh, and right now you're okay. missing 75% of them. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you're missing 75% of them now. I mean. Oh, man. All right. Well, listen. Anyway, this is—it's always fun, Cyrus. I look forward to, to chatting and, and, and doing let's the next our show. Social, let's promote our social media real quick. You can follow Rick Barry on all social media platforms at Rick Twenty Four Barry. You can follow me on Twitter at Dog Surf Roadshow, and the podcast is at Warriors Twenty Four Pod. Thank you, sir. Always a pleasure, Rick. All right. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.